0: What are the key elements that you see in common that all the people who've converted, or most of the people who've converted, have actually done? Right. Those mm-hmm. are probably key points in the experience. Those are micro actions that led to their greater macro action. How can you drive more of your customers to do those micro actions? The Online Marketing Show with Joseph Bushnell, helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.
1: Hello, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. This is Joey Bushnell. Today's special guest is a top marketer and marketing author. His name is Brian Eisenberg. Go to brianeisenberg.com to find out more. In this episode... Brian will be sharing with us why we must avoid accidental marketing, how to use persuasion architecture to get more leads and sales, why your conversion rates will exponentially increase if you focus on micro actions. Also, he'll be sharing the six steps of the online persuasion scenario, the three filters that we can use to create a highly targeted persona to market to. And also he'll tell us why the classic marketing formula, the ADA formula, is incomplete all this and more coming up so make sure that you stay tuned Brian thank you so much for joining me today it's a pleasure Brian how did you get into online marketing and become an author on the subject of marketing
0: uh, so I think those are t- uh, totally two different questions um, okay. I mean I got into online marketing my uh, uh, my first dabbling is it when I had a uh, bulletin board system back when I was uh, a very young teen uh, maybe even earlier than that um and, uh, I would go ahead and I'd play around with the menus and change things just to see if I can get people to go to different places on it and, uh, change even, you know, how things were described. Um, so I guess that was my first optimization was back, you know, 1982, 1983. Um, and then of course, obviously, as, you know, the internet became more popular, you know, we started working very early on with some clients and eventually started our own agency in, in 98, uh, to focus on conversion optimization. Um because of that, we started becoming an author because we had no money when we started our agency, uh, my brother and I. So we had to figure out ways to uh, to get noticed. And obviously we're talking about something that people weren't familiar with. And so, um, you know, we just follow the model of what other successful uh, thought leaders try to do, which is, you know, they publish, they, you know, they carry products, they create software, right? Um, and so we just started writing eventually, but that writing became a book. And
1: the, I mean, the rest is history. So can you tell us a little bit about the books that you've written? You've co-authored several books. Um, so could you just tell us a little bit about each one? The big idea behind each book? So the first, um, book we published was actually an e-book. Um,
0: that we wrote on web analytics back in 2000, 2001, uh, called The Marketer's Common Sense Guide to E-Metrics. And I co-authored that with my friend uh, Jim Novo. Um, and the point behind that was, you know, it was very early days where people were still using uh, log analyzers, basically. I mean, I was doing it from the days where you had to, you know, take your log files and put it into Excel and look through it. Mm-hmm. But finally, like, WebFriends had log analyzer. And um, people didn't really know what to do with the information, And so what we did is we created a series of metrics that if you put, you know, this number with this number, it gives you a sense of here's your conversion rate, here is your engagement rate. Um, And so that was the the first book on getting people to understand and understanding, you know, what micro conversions and macro conversions and and what all these things were actually measuring. Mm -hmm. Our second book that came right after that, um, which is kind of a bizarre one, if you think we just wrote a book on web analytics, was Persuasive Online Copywriting, okay. um, where we first started talking about, you know, how to address different types of buyer, why online is more of a, a self-selection type method, and how you have to write copy for different types of people and how to address them properly, and uh, different techniques for writing properly online, and a little bit about SEO, but, you know, very, very early on in 2001. Okay. Um, came around 2005, and we started saying, you know, People are really starting to a little bit pay attention to conversion. Maybe we should start, put a book out there about that. And uh, it was about the time that Seth Godin had put out an ebook on the topic as well. And we said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put out a book. And uh, we took a combination of what we wrote, we added some new content, um, we uh, uh, asked a whole bunch of our friends for some of their top tips, and we put together a call to action. And it really was a guidebook for framing people um, on. How to think about conversion holistically on the website? Um, what are the different areas that you have to consider? What are the type of questions that you would be looking at? Um, and so we uh, we, we self published that book, and we were fortunate enough, uh, partially because Seth Godin blogged about it and called a cover god awful. But said, you know, no matter what you're doing, uh, don't judge the book by its cover. But drop everything you're doing and buy the book. And uh, that launched us onto the New York Times and Business Week and um, you know Wall Street Journal bestseller list. That got us uh, the opportunity to uh, write a book for a publisher, um, Thomas Nelson, um, and they fell in love with a title of, of something that we had called Waiting for Your Cat to Bark. And that was a book about really understanding the nature of the connected customer and how they ignore marketing and how it really is about understanding experiences and how you have to plan um, for creating those engaging experiences and persuasive experiences uh, to move them along their buying funnel and align it with your sales funnel. Um, And then in uh, 2009, uh, I co-authored with um, um, then my CTO, John Korda von Tibidar, who used to be an, uh, um, an astrophysicist uh, working with NASA, um, on uh, always-be-testing. Um, and again, that was book that uh, basically was taken from our internal training manual um, at our agency on how we used to train analysts to look for, ask the questions, identify the tools they use, um, to identify opportunities to uh, increase conversion rates. Um, we've written a bunch of other ebooks uh, since then, and we're actually in the middle of now f- uh, wrapping up a new ebook uh, that'll also turn into um, a much bigger book. Um, hopefully, uh, before the end of
1: the year, uh, uh, called Buyer Legends, or, or the book will be titled uh, "Where Is Your Legend?" Brilliant! Thank you very much uh, for the brief summary, Brian. I've personally read your books, and I really enjoyed them. And you've been doing this online marketing thing for a very long time now, so I know that you've got a lot to share with us today. So. Today, we're going to be discussing some of the biggest themes, the really sort of important concepts from your books. So my first question is you talk in your books about accidental marketing, and you say that we should avoid accidental marketing. So first of all, what is it, and why do we not want to do it?
0: So, you know, accidental marketing is when people focus in on the... Um, how of marketing, like how we're going to accomplish something, how we're going to deploy it, um, what tools we're going to use, what what platform, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to understanding why would our customers want to buy, why would they want to engage with us in that particular platform, and, and we see this all the time. And you know, common ones are the, if you look at marketing automation programs, um, you know, there are a few people using them really well. You know, and they're very sophisticated tools, um, but if you don't really plan the content to really engage people, to really move people through that funnel, uh, to answer their questions properly, uh, you're just making a lot of noise. Uh, the same thing we've seen with testing tools over the years, right? People would have tools that they can test millions of permutations, and so they'd throw all kinds of, you know, whatever they could put in there and see what would work best. And Not that you can't lift conversions that way, but it really wasn't focusing and understanding the, the customer's needs. It was saying, okay, let me let me throw in 75 variations of blues and greens and see which one converts better. Uh, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily... It, 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 what impacts the customer and what, what's going to help them buy? Um, I, you know, I, I, I summarize it this way real well. Um, if you've read Jeff Bezos' um, book, the, uh, you know that got written about him, The Everything Store. There's a line in there that really helps summarize why Amazon was so successful versus so many other people. He said they're not in the business of selling books; they're in the business of helping customers buy books. And what does it take to help a customer buy books? And so when people focus in on the why, right, and how can we help, um, all of a sudden you you don't end up with accidental marketing, right? You can have successes with accidental marketing. I'm not saying you can't. But the better place is to start with, you know, really being deliberate and really trying to understand your customers and, and address their needs.
1: A very common theme throughout all of your books is persuasion architecture. What is persuasion architecture? So persuasion architecture was a process we developed
0: um to help plan out uh, you know these effective customer experiences um and it was also meant as a team dynamic tool uh, one of the things we realized in uh, a lot of the projects we work with is that whenever you're dealing with people who are more creative types versus more analytical types um there's communications problems and so things are left uh, you know vague and not clearly explained and so the wrong people sometimes are ending up making business decisions who shouldn't be. So, uh, oftentimes you'll have, you know, your IT person developing, you know, customer experience flows because you didn't specify them in the design mockups. You didn't prioritize uh, what elements are most important to you as the business person and from an analytics point of view to the designer. Um, and so, each phase was meant as a, a way to hand off what each uh, group needed in that next phase. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, we, we look back at it now. It, it was—it's a, it's a great process. It was just very complicated. It really took a lot of time to do this properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and but what we've taken after now almost you know twenty years of this thinking of, of this is that the number one aspect of persuasion architecture that really helped uh, companies, and it's in fact why we're writing the book on buyer legends, uh, is this very simple one: is when we saw organizations ad- adopt the aspect of taking what they've learned in uncovering, un- which is the first phase of understanding their customers, developing their personas mm-hmm. and being able to explain in a narrative, right? In a storytelling point of view from the customer's viewpoint, how they're going to engage with all the customer, you know, with all the, the company's touch points, right? And develop that intuitive flow. Um, that's when they had the most success. It was just, Everybody was able to communicate through that, through those stories, through those narratives, mm-hmm. um, and that is really the part that that transforms organizations. It's not the individual tactics because uh, you know if if you follow me, you know I've written about PPC, I've written about SEO, I've written about design, I've written about copywriting, I've written about analytics. Big, de- I mean, I, right, we've gone deep in all of these different topics, but the one that's most powerful is just understanding this this concept of narrative. And I'll bring it back to Amazon again, right? It's a great, great example. Everybody who think about Amazon. Uh, and Jeff Bezos would think that they're, you know, tremendously, um, you know, they're, they're obviously a customer-centric organization, but they're, but they're driven by data, right? We all know they, they optimize everything within the organization based on data. But most interestingly, their management style, right? So if you go to a meeting with Jeff Bezos, you can't bring him a PowerPoint deck with, uh, you know, with Excel charts and and and, and graphs. It, it won't work. He wants a six-page or or so narrative of what you're trying to explain, because a bullet point doesn't convey the same importance um, as a, a full paragraph or two or three on a particular topic, and we don't know which bullet point is more important or not. And so you have to create these narratives, and they get shared within the organizational team. Um, product managers, when they want to go ahead and they want to um, uh, release a new product, they've got to write the press release first for the customers. So, so as much as they're data-driven, they're managed by the narrative which the narrative also ties in directly to their brand story, which ties in directly to how they manage their metrics as well. And that's why they've had the tremendous success that they've had.
1: In the online environment, why are micro and macro actions uh, so important in persuasion and conversion?
0: Well, I mean, the, the, the best thing about online is that we can sort of measure everything. Um, and so the advantage of understanding the, the uh, micro conversions, and, and uh, like I said, this is a term we developed I think it was 1999 or something like that. Um, was the fact that you know everyone understood macro conversions. So, you know, I turn into a lead or sale. I turn into um, you know a, a customer. That, that was that was easy. Subscriber, but no one understood what were the little micro decisions that people have to make in order to feel confident enough to actually become a lead or become a sale or, or, or become a subscriber. Right? Uh, you know, maybe it's not the first time. They read an article that makes them become a subscriber. They read it. They share one. They get positive feedback from some of their friends. They also share it. Oh, now maybe they're interested in becoming a subscriber. So how are we going to engage them? Yeah. Um, and, and I can tell you, I mean, th- think about it this way. When was the last time you read a great article somewhere, right? Let's say from, from a particular brand and you tweeted it and they actually engaged you on Twitter and said, Hey, you know, I really, we really appreciate you so much for reading it. You know that we put out this type of content and here are a couple of others that mm-hmm. you might be interested in. Have you, have you seen anybody do that?
1: I haven't actually no.
0: Why? But it's a natural, it's a natural flow, right? If you if you yeah. enjoyed something from, you know, um, uh, Red Bull, right? You enjoyed the you know, um, bomb jump out of you know the the, uh, the plane, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hey, maybe they can reply and say here's you know here's another one, and then all of a sudden that reengages you and now, gets you a chance maybe to subscribe for more of it, mm-hmm. right? But it's so limited to the one tactic, to the one focus, right? It's sort of that accidental marketing. They're not thinking of that flow. They're in the one-offs and that's why you need to understand how the micro actions build to the greater macro
1: actions. So what would be some other examples of micro actions online, Brian? Are we talking about clicks to a website, um, opting in, subscribing, following someone on social media? Are they examples of micro actions and macro actions would perhaps be someone, you know, buying from you?
0: Correct, or or even you know uh,
1: hitting particular pages on your site, right, and, and engaging with it,
0: right. Mm-hmm. Different ones
1: that have unique
0: marketing messages that are, that are so critical for people to buy from you. Um, and, and this is something I tell people whenever they do their analytics. If they go back instead of looking at all their analytics, if they just go back at all the people who've converted and looked at the behavior they've done, right. What are the key elements that you see in common that all the people who've converted, or most of the people who've converted, have actually done. Right. Those are probably key points in the experience. Those are micro actions that led to their greater macro action.
1: How can you drive more of your customers to do those micro actions? Okay, now let's talk about something that you call the persuasion scenario. What is the persuasion scenario? And what are the six components of the persuasion scenario?
0: Well, it's interesting. So that, that's that's coming back to this buyer legends, right? We're we're renaming it almost, you know, the, these legends, and you know, there'll be things like content marketing legends and, and social media legends, um, and th- they're they're all fairly uh, the same thing. So what we're trying to do is give people again a language to think about uh, how to define um, all of these, you know, little pieces of uh, of this flow, so that it's clear for everybody along the way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Uh, you know, the, the, the key points are what are the driving points? What, what are the elements in the experience that drive people to touch you, okay. right? In search, it could be, you know, all of a sudden they feel a demand for, uh, you know, a new headphone because their, their headphone is coming in and out. Or, uh, you know, the, the padding on their, uh, on their headset is falling off. So, okay, you know, what makes them search for you? Right? So you can define what are those different circumstances. Maybe they just want a new computer, they want a new one, right? Uh or the, you know the you put out um uh, uh, a press release about you know your new one someone sees it. Whatever it is, what drives them to find you? The funnel points. Where can you actually identify where they first interacted with you? Right? If it's on third party sites, hard to identify, but if it's on you know any sites that you control, you can identify those funnel points. Mm-hmm. The waypoints, what are those key micro-actions, key elements of content that you, they need to experience in order for them to feel confident buying from you? Right. It's not every page on your site, but particular personas have different needs. Identify what are the key components on there. Along the way, they may get distracted by their own um, uh, desires, by their own just questions that they may have that may throw them uh, kind of on a detour mm-hmm. uh, that we call points of resolution. It's the questions they may need asked. They may be very fundamental to you, and I see a lot of sites miss this. They try to bury these in FAQs, but they don't realize that the customer they don't have the same level of knowledge, right? They're 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 basically, you know, we suffer as marketers from cursive knowledge of our own business because we're in it every single day. Mm-hmm. But what are those points of resolution that customers need to understand as a fun, as fundamentals um, that you take for granted? Those are often points of resolutions. Okay. Um we have conversion points, which is that final point. Uh, along the way that we can recognize that, you know, they've converted as a sale or a lead or subscribe, whatever your, your business model is. And then along the way you have, you might have those micro conversion, uh, points that you want to measure, which we call conversion beacons. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, those are triggers to let us know, Hey, they're, they're getting closer.
1: Brian, what is the experience economy?
0: Well, I, you know, I think it's, it's really interesting, right? If you look at the last 20 years, um, and you can, you probably, yeah, 20 is probably about the right time period. And you look at the most successful brands over the last 20 years. There hasn't been a brand that has been, um, established based on advertising. Not one, right? Think about the top brands that you know of today. Amazon. Who deliberately cut out their advertising years ago? Very, very clear. And, he, and Jeff Bezos talks about how much, you know, he'd rather build customer experience. Yeah, um, eBay. Yep. Dropbox. Dropbox. Apple. Evernote. Airbnb. If you think about it, all, all of these companies, right? Do we see a lot of advertising for them? I mean, mm-hmm. now maybe that the more mature, you're seeing a little bit more. But where they get all their traction, Skype, that we're on right now, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all based on peer-to-peer. We've experienced it. We share it. We talk about it, and that is enough to carry people through buying. Right? Is, mm-hmm. is really experience it. Even in the retail space, right? If you think about Apple stores, which are now the most successful stores in retail, they, they generate more dollars per square foot than any other store ever in retail. Mm-hmm. Right? It's built around a whole experience model. It's 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 not built like every other store out there. Right? It's how are we going to engage you? How are we going to make you feel comfortable? How are you, you can just sit in there? It's not about salespeople, right? In fact, they want to get you out of the store. If you're ready to buy, they want to get you out of the store as fast as possible. <laughs> but otherwise, they want to just engage you. And it's about giving you great experiences. Um, you know, in the United States, Whole Foods is another you know, great brand. You know, they're not advertising, right? Yeah. You go in there and you have great employees. Um, so... What's happened is we've moved more from this advertising model because, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you used to, you know, you took a brand, you wanted to launch it, you put it on one of the three, you know, national networks here in the United States, and all of a sudden you were, you were, you know, you were golden. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine over in the, in the UK, again, wasn't that difficult? You know, you got, you did some advertising on, 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 you know, one or two of the, the, stations and same thing. Yeah. Today, because of all that fragmentation, you can't do that. You need that, that, I hate to use the term that viral effect, right? Of people experiencing, and talking about it and sharing it
1: because that peer to peer growth is, is much more powerful. In your books, you also talk about, um, how there's a difference between customization, personalization, and also personalization so could you tell us a little bit about these three things and which do you like best of the three
0: well so in an ideal situation you'd be able to personalize everything right every experience would be exactly catered to my needs my desires you know everything you know about me but the problem with those is you need it a ton of data to truly personalize every bit of an experience. And so someone like an Amazon, Google, um, you know, they, they they have so much data about you. And there's also today, unfortunately, uh, you know, tons of third parties uh, you know, like the Experians and the X plus ones and the Blue Kies uh, who are, you know, collecting tons of data on you. And that can certainly help personalize the type of site. So if I, you know, if I go on a uh sporting goods sites you know um you know while i'm i'm' i'm a, definitely a, a fan of of world cup my my father was drafted many many years ago to play professionally um uh, uh football in, in in um um in uh, in argentina um I don't buy a lot of soccer equipment, but i have a nine year old son who loves baseball so if you know me- about me right mm-hmm. what if i go to sporting goods where what are you gonna show me lots of baseball stuff Right? That that makes sense. So that's the ideal. Customization is where you're, you know, you're, you're basically letting people decide, hey, this is what I've got, but you can slice it and dice it the way you want it to feel comfortable to you. So it requires a lot of work in identifying what they want customized. Personalization is where you're taking broad strokes about understanding people's buying habits, um, you know, their, their psychographics, a little bit about their demographics. So, you know, you understand that, you know, I am a, you know, uh, a male in his 40s with three children, um, you know, living here uh, in, in Austin, Texas. So most likely I, I'm going to be interested in sporting equipment that either has to do with, you know, uh, hiking, uh, football, football for sure in Texas here, um, and, and possibly baseball. And so you kind of guide me towards those three options and then I can kind of customize from there.
1: So how do we create a persona? You talk about three filters that can help us to define a persona.
0: Yeah, and so personas have to be, they're, they're fictional representations of your customers. They can't be exactly who your customers are. Okay. If not, you, you really start stereotyping and, and, and blocking them into, oh, they're, they're, they're this person. They're not this person. They're a person. They're, they're a group of people acting in a particular way. Uh, the, the, the term persona, actually comes from Greek theater and and meant mask. Okay. That's what a persona actually was. And so if you think about that, it's like, Oh, you can have thousands of visitors come and they can put on this mask and they're going to act a particular way. And they have bunches of masks that they can choose from, but you've constructed the mask based on how you understand different personas, types of people prefer to buy. And it's usually based on some aspects of their demographics Right. Again, you know, males in their 40s typically like to buy this way versus, you know, females tend to prefer more this way. OK, great. So that gives you one slice. Um, topology. Right. Um, you know, here here in Austin, you know, you're probably not going to want to start focusing in a lot of snow shovels. <laughs> you know, we yeah. just don't get a lot of snow here. So, based on the fact that you, you know, again, you you, you know that you know what type of business I'm in. Um, you know, you're in the hardware business. You you tie that with the demographics, and you realize, okay, well, you know, we we shouldn't be showing these people snow shovels. We should be showing them, you know, gardening tools and right, different type different type of things. Um, and then from a psychographic point of view, it's like, okay. Um, you know, I, I buy much more competitively. I'm about you know getting a great deal uh, with a lot, you know, obviously more power tools. How how are you going to show that to me? And so you you present information in a different way that addresses my persona versus someone, let's say, like um, you know my brother who's again similar to me, but he buys very differently, right? Mm-hmm. So. It's, it's adding all of those complexities, and again, you know, it could take hours to kind of explain the whole nuances of personas and reading the books to start with. Uh, but that kind of gives you a, a first uh,
1: uh, glimmer of how to put it together. Brian, you, you mentioned the term mask there, and you actually talk in your book about um, sometimes when you're defining your persona that your target audience may have some masks that there may be something that your target market think about themselves in a certain way, but it's actually not quite true. So could you tell us a little bit more about this? For example, you mentioned that um, you know privileged white kids are the top consumers of hip-hop music, for example.
0: Yeah, you know, they, they are not necessarily acting the way you'd expect them to act, act and so they're literally putting on
1: a mask
0: um, to mimic the behavior of maybe one of their idols or... Mm-hmm. Uh, someone that they're trying to model, right? And so oftentimes, you'll see them put on that mask. And so you've got to account for those masks, certainly, you know, that can have a big impact on,
1: um, you know, on uh, your results as well, if you understand those. And you mentioned in the book about spirituality as well, that, you know, people who claim to be very spiritual, maybe deep down they aren't that spiritual at all, they might be quite unhappy or just not feeling very spiritual. But, uh, you know, they wear that mask. So I thought it was very interesting that often we have to dig a little bit deeper when we're defining a persona because sometimes it's maybe not what we see on the surface. Exactly. It's 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 just that. It's right, how do you get deep into understanding
0: your customers? Right. Yeah. How do you really get into their heads, into their hearts, and understand their motivations?
1: Sure. I mean that's the job of a marketer, ultimately. My final question, Brian, was in the marketing world, we all know the classic formula ADA. A-I-D-A. But when you talk about ADA, you talk about it with an extra letter on the end, with an S on the end. So it's A-I-D-A-S. What does the S stand for?
0: So as I mentioned earlier, right, this is an experience economy. Mm-hmm.
1: And so the traditional direct marketing um, you know, method
0: was, you know, let's get their attention, right? You can't sell to somebody if you don't have their attention. Mm-hmm. Then once you've got their attention... Build some interest. Once you got some interest, you can now create desire, right? Or, or fan the, the desire that they that they have internally. If you can really, you know, uh, explain your offer real well, and then hopefully they'll take action. And let's talk about it in the macro view first of all. So I take action, and, and we la- we like to illustrate this with an example of like you know a dog. So, you know, a dog's busy playing or he's laying down and so you, you yell at him and you say, hey, you know, let's lift, you know, you show him a ball and he gets all excited and he starts wagging and um, you take out a couple of different toys and first you throw the ball and he goes and he fetches and he brings it back. So, you got his uh, interest and, you know, he likes playing and he likes getting, you know, uh, uh, petted afterwards. So, he, he has a desire, he runs, he brings it back to you and, and you return and great. Okay, the next time you go and you take a, a rubber steak and he thinks it's like real meat now. <laughs> and so, you go ahead and you Again, you have his attention, he's got the interest, you throw it, he's running after it, he's, you know, drooling now because he thinks he's going to have some, you know, real meat because that's what dogs really are interested. Gets the steak, chomps on it, and then realizes it's a rubber steak, yeah. and he just kind of leaves it there. Mm-hmm. So you never satisfied his true desire. Um, and this happens, like I said, on the macro action. If you don't satisfy what they really were after, what their real deep desires were, um, they're just going to be frustrated. They're going to leave you a bad review. They're going to return it. They're, they're, you know, they're never going to share it the way you need. You need to build and focus on great, great products to be able to to, to do this. On the micro level, it's the same thing, right? Every click you've got in every page, you've, uh, in every tweet, in every blog post, you've got to get their attention. You've got to build their interest. You've got to create desire. You've got to get them to take some kind of action. And by the next click, you've got to satisfy them, right? You've got to give them what they were expecting from that click. Um, and so I think, you know, if you leave off that satisfaction part, it it makes us feel that as marketers, we're fully in control of uh, the customer flow and we're not. And I think that's the most important part that we have to realize is that the customers are in control today. And and by saying we have to satisfy them, that's part of our job now. Um, you know, yes, sales is part of marketing today. Um, you know, product
1: needs to be part of marketing today because
0: we can't complete the whole cycle without having that piece of it work alongside with what we're doing.
1: It's almost like the link in the chain, isn't it? If you're thinking about micro actions that lead on to the next micro action, it's the satisfaction part that leads them on to the next micro action and then to the next one. And also on the macro level, if someone buys from you once and they aren't satisfied, then they're never going to buy from you again. So that just kills your customer lifetime value right there and then. Exactly. Exactly. Well Brian thank you so much for sharing all this fantastic information with us today. Where can we go to find out more about you and also where can we go to buy your books? So
0: my books are uh, you know available on on uh, on Amazon and most other uh, book retailers out there. Um I'm easy to find just Brian Eisenberg brianeisenberg.com you know I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn you know every, pretty much everywhere um, and uh, we're also going to be like i said launching this new uh, this new book and new ebook at uh, buyerlegends.com, but you can also find out about it from
1: brianisenberg.com. that's easy excellent thank you and with that we'll bring our time together to a close many thanks to everyone who joined us on the call today and if you got value from this episode please show us some love by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher and finally uh, Brian thank you so much for coming on the show today you're welcome
0: the online marketing show with joseph bushnell helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic improving conversion rates increasing customer value and getting things done fast listen take action make money